preaching, but I will say there are times where shifting gears between the two can be a little bit complex, and trying to get the mind set on the message as well as leading the music occasionally will cause me to do something like that. So, But I appreciate you all keeping that third verse in mind. That was a great one. His word shall not fail, you promise. Job chapter 1 this morning, if you will. Job chapter 1. Pray for Brother Ted's family. His brother uh, was killed last week in a car accident. They didn't have the funeral this past week. But uh, continue to keep Brother Ted and his family in prayer. Um, Very tragic accident last week. And uh, God will bring comfort and grace to their lives. And, uh, of course, for Miss Sarah this morning, she called about 6.30 and told me about the, the fact that Brother Jess had taken a pretty bad turn. And uh, so continue to pray for these folks. Also for the family of Miss Florence. Uh, still, uh, these weeks following the funerals are usually the ones that are the hardest on the family. And so uh, please keep them in prayer uh, this week, if you will. I know we've got a lot going on. It's a holiday week, but uh, keep these folks in prayer, if you will. All right? Job chapter 1. We're going to begin reading in the first verse. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was perfect and upright and one that feared God and eschewed evil. And there were born unto him seven sons and three daughters. His substance also was 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 she-asses, and a very great household. So that this man was the greatest of all the men of the east. And his sons went and feasted in their houses, every one his day, and sent and called for their three sisters to eat and to drink with them. And it was so, when the days of their feasting were gone about, that Job sent and sanctified them, and rose up early in the morning, and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan came also among them. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast not thou made an hedge about him, and about his house, and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land. But put forth thine hand now, and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. Father, we come to you once again asking you that you will take the next few moments, and Lord, that you would calm our hearts and allow us to put our heart and focus upon the teaching and preaching of Your Word. 
that whatever burdens and distractions and cares there may be that would cause our thoughts to stray or drift. For the next few moments, Father, I ask that You would help us to be able to put them to the side, to pursue after Your Word and to lean uh, towards it, to give ear to it, to hunger and thirst after what it teaches us and shows us. Father, that Your Holy Spirit will do a work. Lord, such vital truths. They're so needful in the day that we live. I pray that You would help us to learn from it and guide and direct our steps and may Your Holy Spirit do inside the heart of men that which cannot be done from just speaking behind a pulpit or having a service. But Father, that there would be a transforming work of Your truth in us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Job is certainly considered by God to be one of the great men. In fact, he refers to him as the greatest in the East, at least, at one point in this passage. He's a very prominent man, uh, had great, great wealth. God had prospered him. He had, if you'll look with me in verse number 2, it says, And there were born unto him seven sons and three daughters. So he had a large family. God had blessed him with children. His substance was 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 she-asses, and a great, very great household, it says, so that this man was the greatest of all the men of the East. And then later on, as we get over in verse number 8, he says, Hast thou considered my servant Job? There is none like him in the earth. And what an amazing statement to be said, that there is none like him in the earth. I heard somebody say it this way, that Job is, in the Old Testament times, a very similar one to what John the Baptist would have been in the New Testament. Because Jesus said of John the Baptist that of women there is no one greater born than John the Baptist. And Job, at his time in this Old Testament period, would have been very similar to the character of John the Baptist. And he, he, uh, he talks about the fact that uh, he, he considers Job the greatest in all of the earth. And, and if we look at this on the surface, if we're not careful, we'll think, boy, within the context of this, he's referring to his greatness in his position, in his affluence, in his wealth, in his prosperity, in his material possessions. But the truth of the matter is, God is looking at something far different in Job than what he owned and what he had and what his family was. There are four things that he speaks of here, two different times. Uh, one as we get down to verse number two, uh, verse number one, and one as we get down to verse number eight. He does it again in chapter number two, and that is this: that God considers Job to be the greatest in the earth, not because of his wealth and his children and his family, but because of his righteousness. Three different times: twice in chapter one, once in chapter two. He gives us. Four characteristics of things. Now, Satan, when God asks Satan about this, he says, As thou considered my servant Job, I want you to notice what he says. Verse number 8. He says, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? So these are the things God is looking at when he makes the statement, He's the greatest in the earth. He's not looking at his wealth. But notice what Satan says. <clears throat> then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast thou not made an hedge about him, about his house, 
and about all that he hath on every side. Thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land. But put forth thine hand now, and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to his face. Satan basically was looking God in the eye and saying, God, you're wrong. You're wrong. What Satan was saying is that Job was the way he was because of God's blessing upon him. It's interesting that Satan would look at it that way, isn't it? It's almost as if Satan cannot understand the desire to please God for no other reason than to please God. That, that there, there needs to be something in it for me if I'm going to do that. In fact, that was kind of his downfall, wasn't it? When he wanted to be like God. In fact, he wanted to set himself up as God. He wasn't going to follow after God unless there was something in it for him, unless there was some benefit to him. And I don't know that Satan could even quite understand or grasp this. And the truth is, God is going to allow Satan to do some things here. In just a few moments, we're going to look at them. And Satan's expectation is that Job is not going to survive the test. In fact, it was not expected that he would. It's interesting to me, there are certain things that over the years have been considered to be uh, uh, things that would stand the test of time. Uh, I think often of the Titanic. They built that ship, and when they built that ship, they said it is unsinkable. It, it cannot be broken. It, cannot, it won't go to the bottom of the, the ocean. It's not going to go down. It's, not, it's unsinkable. And, and the truth is, they expected it to be indestructible. That it would not, it would not cave to the pressures that would uh, come into contact with it. And the truth is, the expectation was there, but the reality was it did cave, didn't it? And yet there are so many things in the spiritual life and from Satan's perspective that he looks at and he says, I expect them to cave. And yet they're able to stand. Can I tell you this, that Satan's looking at it from the exact opposite of the way God was looking at it, isn't he? God is looking at the man first and saying, Job is a man that is upright. He's a man that is perfect. He's a man that, that, uh, that fears God, and he eschews evil. These are the four characteristics of righteousness that God looks at. And God says, because of that, I have blessed the work of his hand. What Satan looks at is he says, God, you have blessed the work of his hand. You've put a hedge about him. You've not allowed anybody to touch him. And because of that, that's why he fears you, and that's why he worships you. But Job was indestructible, wasn't he? He was a man that prevailed. And in the day that you and I live, I believe that we can learn some valuable lessons from Job. I want us to look at a couple of things here. God gives four different things uh, that characterize Job's righteousness or the righteousness that God had uh, allowed him to have. And the Bible says in verse 1, he was a man that was perfect. And I spoke about this a little bit in, in uh, Sunday school this morning. And again, the idea of perfect is the idea of being blameless or complete. He was not lacking in any area pertaining to godliness. <coughs> every aspect of his life, every aspect of his life revolved around pleasing God. Every, every moment of his attitude, every idea and thought that he had in his life. So much so that, notice with me in verse number 4 for a moment. The Bible says, And his sons went and fasted in their houses every one his day and sent and called for their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And it was so, when the days of their testing, feasting were done, uh, gone about, that Job sent and sanctified them. Well, there's a word we need to get a hold of today, isn't there? Wouldn't it be wonderful if there was a, a desire, a propensity, a, a love, and a yearning 
to be sanctified by the Word of God. He says that Job sent and sanctified them and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be, it may be, I don't know that they did, but it may be, that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job, notice this, continually. This wasn't just a one-time act. This was something Job was overly conscious about daily. Can I tell you this? The lesson learned from this is that Job dealt with sin immediately. He did not let it linger. He, he didn't try to, to sweep it under the rug or to try to, to, to allow it to go on for a while until it got bad enough. Job was one that says, if there's any inkling of sin against God, I want to deal with it and I want to deal with it right now. By the way, that would do us well, would it not? If it would get to the, we get, get to the place in our lives that the sin that does come into our life, we, we deal with it immediately. It bothers us. This is what characterized Job. In the areas of godliness, he was not lacking in any way. And the Bible talks about him being perfect here. Again, not the fact that he didn't have any sin, but the fact that when there was sin, he dealt with it immediately. His desire, his drive was to be pleasing to God. And then he says this, God says this about him in verse number 1. He says that the man that, that Job that he was a man that was perfect. Now I want you to notice this one, and upright, and upright. Now, now let me help with this. The idea of perfect means that he was godly. He wanted to make sure that his life was clean, his life was pure in its actions, and these are things that are seen seen outwardly. These are things that we would say are part of our testimony. But when he talks about the uprightness of Job, he's not speaking about that which is outward. He's speaking about his heart. He's speaking about what is inward. In fact, so much so that <coughs> that the Bible, <coughs> excuse me, the Bible tells us. And look with me if you don't mind. Hold your place. We're going to come back. But look with me in Proverbs chapter twenty for a moment. Just over a few books. Proverbs chapter twenty, <coughs> and I want you to see what is said about this a just man. This man that uh, we would say, uh, this, this character of Job, even though uh, God uses the word upright here, is speaking of the fact that he's perfect, he's upright in heart. And notice what it says here in, in Proverbs chapter 20, and look with me in verse number 7. The Bible says, The just man walketh in his, what's the next word here? Integrity. His children are blessed after him. You know what's amazing is, the idea of Christian integrity and uprightness of heart are so closely intermixed and intertwined, they cannot be divorced one from the other. A man cannot be upright without spiritual integrity, neither can a man have spiritual integrity without being upright. They are two sides of the same coin. The idea that there is Christian character, we spoke of that a little bit this morning as we studied in Second Peter, the, the importance that Peter placed upon, upon uh, cultivating and, and working on the, the issue of our Christian character. Look with me in Job chapter number 2. And his wife refers to, to this, this mindset that Job had about his spiritual life when it came to the things of God. Notice what she says about it in Job chapter number 2 and verse number 9. Then said his wife unto him, Dost thou still retain thine, what? Integrity. Curse God, thank you, Brother Curse God and die. 
In other words, are you going to keep holding on to this uprightness of heart? Are you going to continue to, to be faithful and to be godly through all of this? Now, there was a day, verse number 6, when the sons of God came to present themselves. I'm sorry, let's move down. Uh, verse number 12. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power. Only upon himself put, forth not, put not forth thy hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. Now, look at what, what Satan does to him. And there was a day when his sons and his daughters were eating and drinking wine in the eldest brother's house. And there came a messenger unto Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the asses feeding beside them. And the Sabians fell upon them and took them away. Yea, they have slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, The fire of God is fallen from heaven and hath burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, The Chaldeans came, made out three bands, and fell upon the camels and have carried them away, yea, and slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, Thy sons and thy daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house, and behold, there came a great wind from the wilderness and smote the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young men, and they are dead, and I only am alone, escaped alone to tell thee. Oh, what a travesty. Within an hour's time or so, Job had lost all of his belongings, all but four of his servants, all of his children. I cannot even imagine. I have three children. I could not imagine losing even one of them. Oh, the grief I would have. And when, when Satan touched Job in such a manner and took everything that God had ever blessed him with, Job now is left with four servants and his wife, and that's all he has in this world. You would think, well, he's got reason to curse God and die. No wonder his wife asked him, are you still holding on to your integrity, Job? Are you still trying to be upright in your heart toward God? Now, I will say this. It's one thing for us to put on an outward expression of being okay with what God's doing in our lives. But how many times when we try to be outwardly okay, inwardly, we're saying, God, I'm very angry at You for this. I'm very bitter at You for this. And we may try to put on a brave front for our friends and our acquaintances and our families, but on the inside, we were not able to prevail. Satan fully expected Job to collapse. In fact, he had told God as much. If you let me take all that away from him, he'll curse you to your face, is what Satan told God. But because Job was a man of righteousness, because God had seen Job's heart and knew Job's heart better than Satan knew it, he knew that Job was a perfect man and upright in heart. He knew that Job was a man who feared God and eschewed evil. And I want you to notice what is said in verse number 20. Then Job arose, rent his mantle, shaved his head, fell down upon the ground, and you think, oh boy, here it's coming. But wait a minute. 
and what? Worshipped. He worshipped. He was a man who was upright in his heart, not just outwardly in his perfectness, but uprightly in his integrity, in his heart to God. As he said, naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. And how many of us could have said this? Blessed be the name of the Lord. No wonder God told Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job? There is none greater than him in all the earth. Why, God? Because of his children? No. Because of his cattle and his flocks? No. Because of the very great household that he had? No. Because he was righteous. He was perfect, lacking nothing in godliness. He was upright in heart toward God. And then the Bible says this, he feared God. We live in a day where we don't fully understand what it means to fear the Lord. I've heard people talk about it a lot of times. It's not the same thing as being afraid of a snake or a lion or an alligator and that sort of a thing. In fact, take a moment, if you will, turn with me to 2 Kings. I think maybe we can look at something in Scripture that will help us give an idea to what this thing is of fearing the Lord. Verse number 24, 2 Kings chapter 17. And the king of Assyria brought men from Babylon and Cuthbath, from Ava and from Hamath, from Sepharvim, and placed them in the cities of Samaria instead of the children of Israel. And they possessed Samaria and dwelt in the cities thereof. And so it was at the beginning of their dwelling there that they feared not the Lord Therefore the Lord sent lions among them, which slew some of them. Wherefore they spake to the king of Assyria, saying, The nations which thou hast removed and placed in the cities of Samaria know not the manner of the God of the land. Therefore he hath sent lions among them, and behold, they slay them, because they know not the manner of the God of the land. Then the king of Assyria commanded, saying, Carry thither one of the priests whom you thought, whom you brought from thence, and let us go and dwell there, and let him teach them the manner of the God of the land. Then one of the priests, whom they had carried away from Samaria, came and dwelt in Bethel, and taught them how they should fear the Lord. Howbeit every nation made gods of their own, and put them in the houses of the high places which the Samaritans had made, every nation in their cities wherein they dwelt. Now get the picture. These carnal nations had come and made their abode among the uh, Israelites, God has sent some judgment because they brought their, their false gods into the land. And God had sent lions in as part of the judgment to that. And the king of Assyria said, let's bring in a prophet that can teach us about this God of the land and what he expects. And so the prophet came and taught them that they should fear the Lord. Now, it's interesting that he uses this phrase because 
As we look down, the Bible says in verse number after in verse twenty eight that he taught them how they should fear the Lord. In verse twenty nine, how be it? Every nation made gods of their own and put them in the houses of the high places, which the Samaritans had made every nation in their cities therein they dwelt. And the men of Babylon made Sukkoth Benoth, and the men of Cuth made Nergal, and the men of Hamath made Ashima, and the Avites and the Nibhas and the Tarkuk and the Sephirvites burnt their children in fire to Abramelech, and Abramelech the gods of Sephirvim. So they feared the Lord and made unto themselves of the lowest of them, the priests of the high places, which sanctified for them in the houses of the high places. They feared the Lord, notice this, and served their own gods after the manner of the nations whom they carried away from thence. That's a peculiar verse, isn't it? They feared God and served the gods of these nations? How could they do such a thing? The fear of the Lord gives the idea of the place that we give God in our hearts. In the New Testament, the Bible says that He is to have the preeminence. That He is above all. That He is the one that is the one to be the Lord of our life. He's the one to have every aspect of our life submitted to Him. This priest comes in, teaches these pagan God, these pagan people how to fear the Lord, how to, how to give reverence to the God of the land. And you know what they try to do? They try to reverence Him and still hold on to their gods. By the way, we're living in a generation that is plagued by people that are doing this. They sit in the pews of our churches... They say, I reverence God, I love God, I come to church, I carry my Bible on Sundays, I'm there, I'm living the life that I should live. And then they go out into the world and they they serve their own gods from Monday to Saturday. There's a fear of God, but not the fear of God. There is a reverence for God, but they love other things more. And while He has a place in their life, He does not have the place in their life. Now notice what it says here. They feared the Lord, verse number 33, and served their own gods after the manner of the nations whom they carried away from thence. Unto this day they do after the former manners. They fear not the Lord, neither do they after the statutes or after their ordinances or after the law and commandment which the Lord commanded the children of Jacob, whom He named Israel. In one verse it says that they feared the Lord. In the next verse it says that they did not fear the Lord. What's the difference? The verse that says they did not fear the Lord references to the way that God had commanded Jacob to do it. Notice what he says there. Unto this day they do after the former manners, they fear not the Lord, neither do they after their statutes or after their ordinances or after the law and commandment which the Lord commanded the children of Jacob living in Israel. What he's saying here is that they had a fear of God, but they were not doing the fear of God in their life the way God expected it to be. God did not have the preeminence. God did not have the top place in their life. We come back to Job. And I want you to notice this. That when God is speaking about Job's character, his righteousness, He says that he is a man who is perfect and upright. Those two are paired together. One is an outward expression. One is the inward character of the heart. And then there's a comma there. And there's another two that are paired together. 
and that is, and one that feareth God and escheweth evil. And these two are paired together. To give God His rightful place in our life, to let Him be the fear of God in our life. That He has all of our reverence, all of our love, all of our, all of our will given to Him. And that whatever used to pull us towards the things of evil, we say, no, I don't want any of that. I hate that. I skew that. I cannot stand the evil. Why? Because I love God so much. I've given Him such place in my life that evil has no place. Three different times He uses these characteristics as He's speaking of Job. Look with me in verse number 8. The Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect man and upright, comma, one that feareth God and escheweth evil. Four different things, each of them paired together. To give God the rightful place. After all of this, Satan expected Job to cave. Notice what it says here. In verse number 22, the Bible says, In all this, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. Oh, that we would have men and women of character. Oh, that we would have godly people in, in Christianity today that would say they are perfect and upright in heart. That feared God and eschewed evil. That God would be able to point to them and say to Satan, Hast thou considered my servant? And then insert your name there. Hast thou considered? Satan wasn't content yet. <clears throat> he had taken all that Job had. He fully expected that to work. But it was all done suddenly. It was all done in a short period of time. When one servant was finishing talking, the next one was coming in the door to tell him of the next one. So God, God and Satan have another discussion. Look with me in chapter 2, verse 1. And there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said unto Satan, From whence comest thou? And Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it. And here we have it again. The Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job that there is none like him in the earth? Ha ha, Satan, after all that you've done. You said I was wrong and the truth is you were wrong, Satan. That's what God was saying here. Hast thou considered my servant Job that there is none like him in the earth? A perfect an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil, and still he holdeth fast his integrity. Well, what a statement. Although thou movest me against him to destroy him without cause. You ever have something happen in your life and you just don't understand why? not ours to question. The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Let's walk in our integrity. We'll let God deal with those circumstances. Notice what he says here, and the Lord said unto Satan, as thou consider my servant Job, 
There's none like Him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and skeweth evil. And still he holdeth fast his integrity, although thou movest me against him to destroy him without cause. And Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, yea, all that a man hath will he give for his life. In other words, we didn't take enough from him. Those things, I guess, probably weren't important to him. But boy, you let me touch his health. You let me touch his life. He'll curse you then, God. And notice what he says here. God says, put forth thine hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, he is in thy hand, but save his life. And Satan goes after it. So went Satan forth from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot unto his crown. I don't know if you understand the pain and agony that this produced. To get relief from the pain, the Bible says in verse 8 that Job, he, and he took him a potsherd, a piece of pottery, and scraped himself with all. And he sat down among the ashes. Well, what a pain. Excruciating. Not a sudden disaster, but now a prolonged agony. How many of us have gone through prolonged suffering? And while we can handle the things that come quickly and leave quickly, sometimes it seems like those prolonged times are the times that we struggle and grow weak in our faith. And then, as if to add insult to injury, the only thing he had left in his life was wife. Verse 9. Then said his wife unto him, Dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. He said unto her, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speak. What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God, and shall we not receive evil? And all this did Job did not Job sin with his lips. His friends come, you know, to comfort him. For seven days they look upon him can't believe the sight of him and for seven days they say nothing when they do speak they turn on Job and his faith put yourself in Job's position for a minute he's lost everything at this point his family his flocks his herds his status in the community he's penniless he has nothing there. His body and health are gone. His wife is forsaken. His friends are forsaken. He has nothing. And yet the Bible says in all of this, Job sinned not with his lips. He was a man of integrity. A man who was upright in heart. 
A man who was not just trying to fake it outwardly, but a man who truly pursued righteousness and holiness before his God. It's interesting. God eventually restores to Job many times over his cattle. He restores his children. You know, I don't know if it was the case or not because the Bible doesn't say. But we have no record in Scripture that Job's wife ever came back to a place of supporting him. And it may have been one of those scars that Job took with him the rest of his life. His wife had forsaken and turned her back on him in these things. But in all of these things, Job sinned not. Folks, we're living in a day where much, much less than this happens. And people forsake their integrity. Job was the kind of fellow that even if there was a a possibility of sin being there, he wanted to get with God and get it right. He made sacrifices and, and, and made atonement for that sin just in case. In other words, he was saying, Lord, I don't want there to be anything that hinders my integrity with You, my righteousness with You. We live in a world that is so wicked and ungodly and dark that entices and allures the hearts of even God's people so much that oftentimes, while we may work on the area of being perfectly without, growing in our godliness outwardly in the way that we act, in the way that we talk, the places we go, the acquaintances we have, the entertainment we go into, how is the integrity of our heart Do we fear the Lord and eschew evil? If everything that we had was taken from us, if we were put in a place of absolute destitute, our own bodies failing us, unbelievable pain and suffering, would we be able to worship the Lord? knowing that the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Paul said it this way. He said, I both know how to be abased and how to abound. There were times that God's hand of blessing was upon the Apostle Paul. There were times that Paul's life was in jeopardy. He said, I've learned in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. How is our integrity? How is our Christian character? What does it take to get us to turn from God? Well, Pastor, you just don't know that person hurt my feelings. My pastor, that person was dishonest. 
They took advantage of me. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could still have our integrity with God no matter what comes in our life? I've seen so many people over the years that have allowed circumstances of life cause their Christian integrity to suffer. The question today is, are we a Christian that knows how to prevail? There are four things that God looked at in the life of Job and said there is none greater than Him in the earth. And it wasn't His flocks. It wasn't His great household. It wasn't His children. It wasn't His wife. It wasn't His friends. It was that He was perfect and upright. A man that feared God and eschewed evil. And God said, there's none greater than Him. I wonder if that could be said of you and I. Far too often as I look in my heart, far too often as I ask God to show me things in my life, I see that I don't come anywhere close to those things sometimes. We're living in a day, folks, where to be real frank with you, we need some of God's people to say, Lord, I don't care what anybody else says or thinks about me. The most important thing to me is my integrity before You. I'm going to serve You till the day I die, no matter what. Let's stand together with heads bowed. Father, we're thankful for Your Word and what an amazing, amazing story.